from coast to coast to coast. You're listening, You're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Charlotte. And I'm Ben. This week, we are going to discuss the issues surrounding the coastal gas link project that is being proposed to run through Wet'suwet'en territory in northern British Columbia. We will be giving you a background on what the CGL project is and the current timeline surrounding its development, why this pipeline project is being opposed, actions of solidarity with Wet'suwet'en occurring around the world, and how the conflict has been covered by the media. You'll be hearing audio from Indigenous youth Dakaya Blaney, Saul Brown, and Colin Sutherland on the steps of the BC Legislature in Lekwungen Territories, as well as an audio from an interview between Curtis Blandy and Jessica Mayhew. Jessica Mayhew is a student at UVic and an Indigenous activist who stood in solidarity at the BC Legislature for much of the Land Defenders' actions. Before we begin this episode, it is imperative that we acknowledge that Terra Informa, a production of CJSR 88.5 FM, is produced in a Miskachewa Skygin, meaning Beaver Hills House, on Treaty 6 territory. Treaty 6 is the historic and present territory of Cree, Nakota Sioux, and many other First Peoples that live and gather here. The university neighborhood our studio is located in is the traditional territory of the Métis and the southern part of so-called Edmonton should be Papa's Chase Cree Reserve Land. The issues and stories we will be talking about in today's episode are taking place on unceded Wet'suwet'en territory in northern British Columbia. In this week's episode, we will be talking a lot about relationships between Indigenous communities and the colonial state, the Canadian government, and extractive natural resource companies. As you listen to this week's episode, we encourage you to do your own research on the ways the colonial state of Canada has systematically oppressed Indigenous peoples in order to push forward resource and development projects. Consider what it would mean to be dispossessed from your home, what it would feel like to endure centuries of violence at the hands of the RCMP. Right now, we are at a critical time, a time of change, a time of rising up. Indigenous people and allies around so-called Canada have been standing in solidarity with the Wet'suwet'en, but it is so much more than that. With hashtags like Shutdown Canada, Reconciliation is Dead, and All Eyes on Wet'suwet'en taking over social media, it is clear we are currently witnessing a fundamental shift. Indigenous youth are standing up to the centuries of injustice Indigenous people have been facing through natural resource projects and lack of recognition of their sovereignty by the state. To begin this episode, we first dive into the catalyst for these actions, the militarized invasion of Wet'suwet'en territory on February 6, 2020 by RCMP after an injunction for the coastal gas link pipeline was granted by the Supreme Court of British Columbia to CGL. The case of the Coastal Gas Link Pipeline has brought forward debates of who can say no to resource extraction. CGL made deals with 20 elected band leaders along the pipeline's route, but failed to receive the consent of the hereditary chiefs in the area. This brings us to the question of who CGL should be consulting with, and the answer lies in the 1997 Delgamuk decision. Nineteen ninety-seven, 
Wet'suwet'en and Gitsan hereditary chiefs head to the Supreme Court to challenge who holds jurisdiction over 58,000 square kilometers of territory in northern British Columbia. This came at a time of clear-cut logging in the area, when hereditary chiefs were not consulted. The Supreme Court ruled that Aboriginal title of the area had never been extinguished because the territory is still unceded. This means that the lands were never signed away to the state of Canada at the time of settler occupation in British Columbia. That decision was appealed at the D.C. Court of Appeals and then later at the Supreme Court of Canada. And in that court, the six justices unanimously rejected McEachern's decision. And they made it clear that British Columbia never had the authority to extinguish our rights and title to our territories. They made it clear that each house group of the Gixan and the Wet'suwet'en had a rightful claim to those lands of which they've occupied for millennia. And so following this court case, it has been made clear who the decision makers on those territories are. There is no excuse for this government to claim ignorance to say that it's a complicated issue and it's purely internal within the Wet'suwet'en, that is a barefaced lie. Because this government is implicit in all of the divisions that it claims exist purely within Indigenous nations. The predatory consultation practices, the concerted efforts with industry to undermine our rights and title, this has been the strategy of Canada, of British Columbia. Ever since that time, we've had to face a country, a government, a political system that has refused to engage us in good faith negotiations as recommended by the Supreme Court of Canada. We have had to engage with a country that has sought to undermine us at every turn because this country is based on extracting resources from Indigenous territories. This ruling is significant because it indicates that authority over Wet'suwet'en territory is held by the hereditary chiefs and not by the band councils that were created by the colonial state during the creation of the Indian Act. Band councils have authority over their reserve land, but not over the whole traditional territory where the pipeline is scheduled to be constructed. Fast forward to 2009. Wet'suwet'en land is facing several pipeline project proposals despite strong rejection by hereditary chiefs. Checkpoints are established in Unistoten and Gedimton territories to assert title. The construction of this camp was done in an effort to make Indigenous presence on the land visible because, as previously stated, Wet'suwet'en territory is unceded and is recognized as belonging to and being under the jurisdiction of the Wet'suwet'en nation. Hereditary chiefs from all five Wet'suwet'en clans reject the coastal gas link pipeline. Seeing the precedent the Delgamuk case sets, 
TC Energy and CGL should have received free, prior, and informed consent from Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs prior to construction. The United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples, or UNDRIP, defines free, prior, and informed consent as ongoing consent with the option to withdraw at any time, including the caveat that Indigenous peoples who are affected may negotiate all conditions surrounding the project in question, like design, implementation, and monitoring. Instead, in November of 2018, Unistoten people received an injunction pushing CGL through. ...employed by CGL, the lack of meaningful dialogue from the Canadian state, and the overall attempted erasure of Indigenous rights, title, and law. The situation on Wet'suwet'en territory has revealed the true nature of Canada's predatory consultation practices. It has been made clear the Indigenous nations do not have the right to free prior and informed consent. The ongoing raid against the Wet'suwet'en shows that saying no results in a paramilitary invasion. Good faith negotiations do not look like seizing Indigenous lands at gunpoint while simultaneously denying critical programs and services to our communities. Not only is the RCMP raid of Wet'suwet'en territories a coercive force on behalf of Coastal Gaslink, but so is the systemic treatment of Indigenous peoples in Canada. Our communities should not be subject to predatory consultation practices that exploit cycles of poverty that Canada intentionally maintains, meanwhile generating immense wealth from our territories since colonization. Oil water advisor. January 2019. RCMP raid the Gitimitin checkpoint and arrest 14 land defenders. This prompts a day of solidarity actions across Turtle Island. You might remember the one in Edmonton, where Indigenous people and allies occupied Jasper Avenue for a solidarity round dance. By the end of February 2019, Gitimitin returned to their land and reoccupied the checkpoint. April 2019. Due to the violation of Wet'suwet'en law on sovereign Wet'suwet'en land and the discovery of archaeological artifacts, hereditary chiefs demand CGL to cease construction. December 31, 2019. The BC Supreme Court issues a permanent injunction against land defenders blocking the pipeline route. January 2020. Hereditary chiefs deliver an eviction notice to CGL under Wet'suwet'en law, and CGL leaves the territory. An additional checkpoint is established at kilometer 39 and barricades are set up by the Wet'suwet'en. In response, RCMP established an exclusion zone at kilometer 39 and begin to restrict access by media and people to Wet'suwet'en territory. Another camp is set up at kilometer 27. From February 6 to 10, 2020, heavily militarized RCMP moved through the Wet'suwet'en territory, arresting land defenders and dismantling the checkpoints. In total, over 20 people are arrested during this time, many without cause. On the final day of the RCMP raid, seven Unistoten matriarchs are arrested while in ceremony for missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. According to the inquiry into MMIWG, Man camps created for fossil fuel resource extraction projects increase the violence enacted on Indigenous women and Two-Spirit people. It's important to note that Wet'suwet'en territory is adjacent to Canada's infamous Highway of Tears. 
and indigenous people in this area are not unfamiliar with the grief and loss of their stolen sisters. The 2019 National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls declared in their report that there is a direct relationship between man camps and violence against our women and our girls and our two-spirit people. This is a national inquiry that Canada has recognized. And Canada chooses with that information to push through pipelines and exponentially increase man camps on our territories. On Highway 16, the Highway of Tears. Canada chooses over and over again to show us as Indigenous women and Indigenous people that we are disposable, that we have no worth. And so we're asking for Canadians to hold their leadership accountable because this isn't just about a pipeline. This is about our survival. The mass arrest of Unistoten matriarchs was the beginning of a shift in Canada's relationship with Indigenous peoples. Blockades started popping up around the country in solidarity with Wet'suwet'en. One blockade of note was the Mohawks of Tyendinaga's action on a CN railway near Belleville, Ontario. After two weeks of encampment on the railway, the situation escalated when the Ontario Provincial Police forced journalists out of the area and used physical force to remove defenders. Violence remains an option for those in power. This confrontation led to the Ontario Provincial Police arresting 10 of the demonstrators. The blockade has since been cleared. justice protects our collective futures. Indigenous youth stand in solidarity with all Indigenous peoples defending their lands across Canada, from Wet'suwet'en to Tyendinaga. We resist the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and Ontario Provincial Police violently criminalizing Indigenous peoples for demanding the bare minimum of Canada. Through these shameful arrests, the world has witnessed the colonial facade of reconciliation come crashing down to expose the Canadian reality of Indigenous genocide that has never been interrupted or reconciled. Indigenous youth across the country declare that reconciliation is dead. The dismantling of the Tyendinaga blockade sparked outrage and further blockades arose in solidarity. In total, 25 blockades were established following the arrests at Unistoten. This gained national attention by disrupting all major railway transportation in Canada. 
Along with blockades, many youth occupy different government offices with demands that the government officials meet with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. The longest occupation occurred on the steps of the British Columbia legislature from February 6th to 11th, and then again from February 24th to March 5th, with indigenous youth for Wet'suwet'en gathered in ceremony and community. Audio clips in this episode were recorded during that occupation. Over the 17 days, thousands of people went to the legislature to show support for the youth and bring supplies for the camp. The way that people came together and organized, not only the youth, but um, like people bringing food, blankets, supplies, setting up tents for people to sleep in, and just like the response was actually really incredible here and that like their presence allowed for the youth to keep safe because the more numbers of people that were in the area the less likely it was that the police would come in and arrest so why did these blockades happen And why are the solidarity actions continuing to take place across the country? The demands are clear. We demand that the leadership of British Columbia and Canada enter into nation-to-nation discussions with the Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. In order for these discussions to take place in good faith and without duress, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police must be withdrawn from Wet'suwet'en territories. All ongoing RCMP patrols and surveillance must also cease. The removal of the Community Industry Safety Office will not satisfy this requirement unless all our RCMP activities are discontinued. Coastal GasLink must cease activity and withdraw personnel from Wet'suwet'en territories in accordance with the eviction that was issued by Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs on January 4, 2020. Canada must critically examine how the systemic treatment of Indigenous peoples in Canada is a coercive factor in negotiations with industry. There can be no free prior and informed consent, while many Indigenous nations in Canada still have boil water advisories. British Columbia must revoke all permits granted to CGL, especially in light of the BC Environmental Assessment Office's rejection of CGL's technical data report. British Columbia must also cease its defamation and criminalization of Indigenous leaders and governments. The inflammatory rhetoric of BC Premier only serves to incite hate and violence against Indigenous peoples, standing up for our inherent rights and livelihoods. Canada must cease the criminalization of all peaceful Indigenous solidarity actions and blockades that exist because of Canada's failure to adhere to diplomacy and meet with Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs. Call off OPP from Tyendinaga Mohawk territory. It is time for you to act upon your responsibilities. As mentioned in the last clip, this is a fight for so much more than a pipeline. It is a fight for Indigenous sovereignty and a fight for Indigenous governance to be upheld on Indigenous territories. It is a demand that the colonial institutions, the First Nations Band Council system, be recognized as exactly that, 
something which was imposed upon indigenous people in an attempt to wipe out the hereditary systems of governance and autonomy, though this narrative has not been emphasized in recent headlines. So the mainstream media, for the most part, has not been accurately reporting. And I think one of the issues with that is the false neutrality that goes into a lot of reporting. Right. Um, So something that they think is neutral, like the term protester, is not actually neutral and doesn't really accurately convey the messages. So for a lot of the bigger events, youth would be live streaming or taking videos themselves so that people could actually watch the actions and decide for themselves what's happening instead of hearing it through the lens of media. Media plays a crucial role in how the rest of Canada sees these solidarity events. And as Jessica mentioned, stories have been emphasizing this as a temporary protest rather than a shift in Canadian discourse. Indigenous youth have been taking these narratives into their own hands, getting legal observers to film abuse from police and demonstrate that the occupation on the BC legislature steps was in fact one of peace and community. The Youth for Wet'suwet'en held press conferences and speeches, which is the audio you have been hearing in this week's episode. We at Terra Informa want to amplify these voices. I just want to make it clear that we are not anti-pipeline protesters. We are indigenous. We've been given many labels in the past, and all of these labels have been used to discredit our message, to discredit our laws and our governments. We've been called uncivilized. We've been called savage. We've been called lazy, drunks, defendants. But in reality, we are the indigenous peoples who have always upheld our laws who despite countless years of assimilatory policies and genocide, continue to stand on our feet to uphold our governance systems, our leaders, and our territories. When this happens and the media paints us as criminals, it puts us in danger. It incites hatred. It gives excuses to bigots to hate. And we know that there's people out there who do not wish us well as Indigenous people. So we implore you to be fair and accurate in your messaging because our youth group here has literally had to get de-escalation training, self-defense training. We are young Indigenous peoples, two-spirited trans peoples, Peoples who are the most marginalized peoples in society yet are answering the call to hold the line for all collective futures. On March 4th, 2020, the Indigenous Youth for Wet'suwet'en entered the legislature to discuss their demands with the Indigenous Relations Minister, Scott Fraser. When Minister Fraser refused to condemn the CGL pipeline and refused to demand the removal of the RCMP, Indigenous youth began a nonviolent occupation of his office. At 9.30 p.m. that night, Victoria Police moved in and arrested five youth. 
they went in for a meeting with him. He basically belittled what they were saying to him. So they decided they were going to just occupy that space. Two of those youth came out and then five ended up getting arrested. The youth were then held with no access to legal counsel for three and a half hours before being separated and taken away in police vans at around 1 a.m. So the next day, the youth just kind of made the decision that they were going to leave on their terms and that energies would be best used figuring out another action. The occupation at the BC legislature was the start of a movement, a movement which has led to worldwide solidarity actions in show of support in places like London and San Francisco. The resonating declaration? Reconciliation is dead. Revolution is alive. I've lived here for almost two years, and I have not felt a place that feels more like hell than when we were at the legislature. It was really beautiful because the main message and the point of what we were doing was to operate on the basis that love is stronger than colonial violence. There's no central place for you to gather with community who are all believing strongly in upholding Indigenous law and respecting Indigenous law for that extent. So it was really beautiful and really powerful and peaceful because it wasn't just about the youth there, but the way that the community came together to support everybody. It has been over a month since the first arrests, and politicians like Trudeau and Horgan have failed to uphold their promises of reconciliation to Indigenous peoples. Indigenous people across Turtle Island have shown that they will not stand down when it comes to protecting the land and water. We have our nations behind us. We have our leaders behind us. We have our families, our clans, our ancestors behind us. So essentially, what you are asking is what will it take for Indigenous peoples to move on? But we aren't going anywhere. We've been here always. In order for our livelihoods to not be immediately interrupted in the immediate line of violence from industry, from RCMP, and from the forces of Canada, we call for RCMP to be removed from Wet'suwet'en territories, for coastal gasoline to be removed from Wet'suwet'en territories, and for Canada to critically examine how structurally we have been oppressed within this country. And that goes beyond a pipeline, that goes beyond uh, occupations of, of railways, that goes beyond protests and, and what Canadians are experiencing as an inconvenience. This has been a disruption to our life for, for generations. This has been a disruption to our relationship to our lands, to our relationship to our children, uh, to, to our very spirits. We will not stop. This is about upholding our, our way of life for future generations. There have been calls to action for future events. This is only the beginning. To stay up to date and informed, follow Giddenham Checkpoint and Tapioca Starch on Instagram, or the hashtags hashtag all eyes on Wet'suwet'en and hashtag shutdown Canada. You can also find more information about donating to Indigenous folks on the front lines on websites like unistoten.camp and yintaaccess.com.
that's all the time we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton, which is Treaty 6 territory. You heard audio from the occupation by the youth for Wet'suwet'en at the Victoria Legislature in Lekwungen Territories and an interview with Jessica Mayhew. Thank you to Takaya Blaney, Colin Sutherland, Saul Brown, Jessica Mayhew, and all other Indigenous youth fighting for a livable future. Thanks this week to our volunteers, Curtis Blandy, Ifra Guhad, Hannah Cunningham, and Carter Gorzitza. And a big shout out to Dylan Hall and CFUV for audio for this piece. You are amazing. Terra Informa is entirely volunteer run, and we survive because of donations from our amazing listeners. If you want to keep the show on the air, donate at cjsr.com. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Terra Informa. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We've been your hosts, Ben Hollihan and Charlotte Thomason. Catch you next week right here on Terra Informa.